Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. Mind your business only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning and welcome to breakfast. Now, one common dilemma for wine enthusiasts like myself mm-hmm. is the need to finish a bottle of wine once it's been uncorked to avoid spoilage and quality degradation. Yeah, sometimes we just have leftovers and sometimes your friends don't drink as much as you, you're kind of stuck with a half bottle of wine, then you have this problem, what do you do with it, right? So once a bottle of wine is uncorked, it comes into contact with oxygen and triggers a process called oxidation. And then this can significantly impact the wine's flavour, aroma, and also overall quality of it, right? Yeah, so is there a way to get around this? And this is the bright idea and brainchild of our guest on Mind Your Business today. He went through this problem himself when his wife was pregnant and he faced the issue of not being able to finish an entire bottle on his own and then he started thinking, what can I do? And there you have it, he's got that idea. Yes, our guest today is Greg Lambrick, founder and chairman of Corvin, who's joining us all the way from Boston. Welcome to our show, Greg. Hello, how are you? It's great to meet you both. Hey, Greg, just to give you a bit of an introduction first, you are a former medical engineer, so you use expertise to figure out how to go about getting around this problem. Yeah, I think, you know, we all run into the problem that, you know, wine is sold to us in a bottle, but ultimately we drink it by the glass. Uh, You know, you want a Mm -hmm. glass of white, maybe you want a glass of red, uh, maybe even a glass Mm. of dessert wine, but uh, you're going to be opening one bottle and that's the bottle that you have to commit to because of this oxidation problem. Mm -hmm. And so uh, luckily, I'm still a medical engineer. Mm -hmm. And one of the first products I'd ever developed was a chemotherapy delivery system that involved an implant under the skin that we would access with a needle over and over again. And so I'd luckily gotten extremely good at needles that didn't do damage to things. And I remember sitting in my kitchen with a needle in my hand and a bottle going, there's got to be a way I can get wine out of here with mm. this. But uh, that was back when my wife was pregnant with my second son, who's now <laughs> 24. So it took me a long time to get it right. Greg, how much do you but, drink, actually? <laughs> oh, that, that's a fair question and maybe embarrassing to answer. But, uh, you know, I tend to have one at least one perfect glass every day. Uh, okay. Uh, and I think that that was the thing. You know, there's all sorts of compromises that you make when you're committing to a whole bottle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, there are all those bottles that are too expensive or too good to drink, or you don't know whether or not they're ready. And they, they wind up sitting there for this mythical time in the future when uh, you're going to have the right people over or you're hoping the wine is ready. And then you finally pull the cork. Well, I, I wanted to be able to taste that wine right now and see what it tasted like. Yes, I'm sure many of us can relate to that, Greg. Now, Greg, you say you're still a medical engineer, right? And you work on surgical needles for a chemotherapy infusion system that could go under the skin or organs without hurting them. So to what extent has your experience with needles helped you in creating your wine preservation system? I think, you know, one of the things that I've learned and I've I've invented probably 10 or 15 different medical devices, is that inventions frequently come from outside of the field uh, that they're meant for. And that's because when you work inside of a field like wine, for example, you become biased by what's Mm. in your world. Uh, But I was extremely lucky to just be a wine consumer. I love Mm. wine. 
I've, I've never studied it. I've never worked at a restaurant. I've never worked in a winery. Uh, I just absolutely love a perfect glass of wine at night. And when my spouse wanted a wine, I wanted to be able to pour her whatever she wanted. Mm-hmm. And when friends came over, you know, you're always in that situation where you just offer them what's open, not necessarily what they want. And I wanted to break that connection. And I think having this outside expertise in medical device design and needles enabled me to come at the problem in a different way than the wine industry had tried. Yeah, if you are familiar with how space technology works, a lot of stuff we use in space are now used on Earth. So that's a reflection of how things in a different industry can work elsewhere. So that's a very good example, I think. And let's talk about the technology now. I'm very curious how it works. Could you do your best to describe it for us, especially for those listening in? I'm imagining a needle, you've got a bottle, you've got a cork. So how does it all fit together? There we go. So uh, when you push a needle through a cork, just like uh, with medicine, you've got to find a way to get the wine to want to leave. In medicine, we just sort of pull back on a syringe. Well, you can't do that with a bottle uh, because you'll only get a small amount of wine out. So I realized I had to push the wine out of the bottle through the needle. And in order to do that, I needed a gas uh, that was going to replace the wine. It was going to pressurize the bottle and push the wine out of the bottle into your glass without allowing any air in. So I looked at what wineries used, and they used nitrogen and argon. Argon is a noble gas. Mm -hmm. It's in the air we're breathing, has no smell and no taste, and happens to be heavier than oxygen. That's useful. And I had the needle. I've got the gas. And I have a small valve. And actually, it's a, it wound up being a really simple system that fits in your hand. I wanted something that you could buy one of and then use it on every single bottle in your home. I wanted you to be able to have a wine by the glass program in your house right, right. Uh, that, you, that you could serve to anybody. So what you do is you simply, mm. I'll do this uh, on camera, but uh, you simply press the needle through the cork, tip the bottle sideways like you normally would, press this little trigger that pushes gas into the bottle, let go of the trigger and that gas pushes the wine out of the bottle into your glass. Nice. Wow. You, can, you can pour as much or as little as you like. Stop any time just by tipping up, which lets out the extra gas. Still no air gets in. Then you pull the needle out. Cork is elastic. It reseals. You can put mm. it right back in your wine fridge or cellar. Drink it again next month, next right. year. Five years. So very nifty. The size of the needle, yeah. is that the same one we use for our injections every day? Oh, hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> it's much thinner, is that it? Oh, no, it's much thicker. Oh, much thicker. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's thicker because cork is this magical substance. It's this highly elastic. It's actually the most elastic thing in nature that we found above the surface of the ocean. That's why it's so effective at sealing a bottle of wine, even for a century. That elasticity allows it to close against the glass. So it displaces it momentarily. That's right. It it pushes it out of the way, dilates its way through. And then when you remove it, that compression on the cork causes it to close that hole again the same way it's sealing against the glass. Did you say that you could still drink it after having the first drink maybe a year or two ago? Yes. Yeah, we uh, launched the company in 2013. And so I'm actually in San Francisco today, not Boston, uh, to celebrate our 10-year on the market anniversary. I'm going up to Napa tonight. And uh, I have a bottle with me that we Coravined 19 years ago. Mm. What's the process like building it together? uh, So it was eight years in my home perfecting the technology. It was, uh, I started the company in 2011. Uh, It took us two more years to get it so that a that we could make them make a lot of them. Uh, I could make one. You have to be able to manufacture a lot. Uh, and then we launched in 2013. We sold out immediately uh, in the U.S., which was a good sign. Uh, we launched in Europe in 14, and we launched in Asia Pacific in 2015. Uh, I was actually just in um, a couple of different wine bars in Singapore a co- about a month ago. Mm-hmm. 
and went to some wine bars that had been using it since before it was available in Asia. They had flown to the United States, picked it up, and taken it back. I'm going to take you a few steps back here, Greg. I understand that uh, it was uh, initially created for personal use at home, your device. So when did you realize that your creation had the potential to become a business? And once you made that decision, how did you take it to the next step to launch and establish your business? It's a great question. When does a hobby become a business? Because this was my hobby. This is how I drank at home. I had a glass of white, a glass of red. And my spouse had, she had, my wife had two different wines. We could have four different wines in an evening and I have to think about it. Friends came over, they saw us using it and the way that we were drinking differently. They asked for one, so I made a prototype for them. I had my full day job. I was running a medical device, actually two medical device companies at the time. And so then their friends saw it when I made them a prototype and it sort of spread. I was making one a month and then one a week and then three a week. And a friend of mine stopped me and said, this is a company. You need to start this business today. And I, I credit my friend with getting me to start the business. Uh, hiring a great CEO was another, the mm. next step. I'm not a consumer product guy. I'm a medical device guy. Mm-hmm. And so bringing on somebody who had built Keurig and Nespresso coffee machines in the United States was my first CEO and second CEO. They're great people. Uh, they knew how to make a consumer product. Raising money was different for consumer products than medical devices. Uh, medical devices have a pretty well-established venture capital community. Consumer products do not. Mm. Uh, and so that was very much more challenging. But I think the beautiful thing about consumer products is speed. With a medical device, you're regulated by governments and payers, and, and you're worried about the people you're implanting it in, and you have to make sure that it works. It takes a decade. But with Coravin, you can launch you know, today. You can come up with an idea. You can make a modification in 90 days, launch it on the market. It's, uh, it's cathartic. Yeah, sounds quite inspiring. So that beginnings, you kind of surround yourself with the right people, the right knowledge and the right contacts to scale it up. Uh, and the other part of the business that's fascinating for me is how it contributes to sustainability in the wine industry. That is a big thing that's coming up. Glass bottles are heavy and they're being shipped all over the world. And imagine the waste of opening a bottle that has been shipped, it's been made in the winery, shipped from that winery to a restaurant or to your home, and you open it up and you drink half of it, and half of it goes bad, and you throw it away or you use it in your cooking. Half of the carbon footprint of that bottle of wine was just wasted. And so it's, it's my hope with Corbin that there's zero waste. Uh, and that every drop of wine is consumed and that it's always in perfect condition, whether it's at the winery, the wine bar, the restaurant, or in your house. There shouldn't be any waste. It's such a beautiful thing, gorgeous, natural product. And to throw half of it away is a shame. Yeah, I can imagine, especially for wineries and restaurants and all that, for trade sampling especially, is such a good thing to have. We've been, uh, we've been very lucky that we've made one product that is equally valuable at home as in the restaurant, as in the winery, and in the distributor groups Everybody was running into this problem. It was an unrecognized, unmet need. They were just dealing with the fact they were throwing it away. But now you can either serve, sell, or enjoy wine as a taste, as a glass, as a half bottle, exactly the amount that you want with zero wastage in whatever the situation is. It's uh, In the last 10 years, we've expanded to now over 60 countries. Uh, we've sold millions of devices. And the the metric that I use to track is how many glasses have we poured. Mm. Uh, And we can calculate this from the capsules of argon that we sell to displace the wine out of the bottle. We've sold a quarter billion glasses of wine or poured a quarter billion glasses of wine through our system. And I like to think about that 250 million individual moments 
where somebody has enjoyed the perfect glass of wine. Yeah, great. And that we haven't somehow touched them. You're clearly quite passionate about pushing the sustainability agenda. Um, but that also comes at a price tag when you look at how things have to come together, how much it costs to make equipment, for example. So how do you push the agenda on sustainability while keeping it affordable? How do you balance mm-hmm. these two things? Mm-hmm. There's a couple of different leakage points, and it's, it's attention to detail. The capsules that we use to contain the gas are fully recyclable. That's a critical thing. The other part is our devices are exceedingly durable. We put them for a year and a half in restaurants uh, to have them beat them up, uh, to try to break them. And every time they did, we fixed it. Because the worst carbon footprint is a device that breaks, that you have to replace. And so designing it just like a medical device so that it would not break and so that somebody could use it for years. I've seen so many devices that have been out there for 10 years. It's bad for my pocketbook because people aren't buying new ones because the devices never wear out. Uh, but I, I love that our return rate on a brand new kind of product is under 1%, uh, where normally in a consumer product, return rates are between 8 and 15% uh, on a new product. So I think there are other pieces to it and how you make ship and store product uh, that are really critical. So it's been, I think if you think about it in advance and you care about the details, you can build sustainability into your business without additional cost. All right, Greg, before we let you go, today we are present in over 60 countries, Coravin that is, based on your brand's uptake across various markets. What trends and projections do you foresee for the wine industry in the coming years? Number one, the younger generation wants to explore. They're sure, they love Burgundy and Bordeaux and, and Piemonte, but there are so many great wines being made in so many different countries. There's so many great varieties. There's so much to explore. And the younger generation is interested in that exploration. I think the wine industry needs to move toward them in allowing them to explore crazy grapes from Italy and Slovenia and, and uh, various parts of Australia. I think the, there's more better wine being made now than ever before. And enabling people to explore it in the restaurant and at home in a more convenient way. And that's what that's going to drive is Corvin for sure. And we're seeing the increase in our sales. But I also think you're going to see, uh, and this sounds like sacrilege, you're going to see more cans. Uh, you're going to see different formats because they're, you know, you buy beer in a single service. Uh, you buy cocktails in a single service. And you're forced to buy wine in five servings or six servings. Uh, it's a strange, the volume of a glass bottle is the volume of a lung, of, a, of the lungs of a glass blower in the 1600s. That's how 750 milliliters was determined. It makes no sense. So I think formatting is going to change uh, smaller, more convenient packaging so that people don't have to spend a lot to get a taste of the wine they want to try. I think that's going to happen. The other thing is global warming. It is a huge impact on the wine industry. The winery can't move. They are stuck uh, physically. And so the heat the dryness, the strange changes in weather, the hail, they're subject to it. And I've talked to a lot of winery friends uh, that I've made over the years, and they're saying, we have to change grape varieties. Uh, We've got to pick earlier. We've got to change our behavior because global warming is altering the wine that we've been making for 2,000 years. On the upside, England is now making really good wine. (laughs) And they would never have been able to make that wine before. Mm -hmm. I just saw my first wine out of Norway. Uh, Mm -hmm. I had very good wine out of northwestern Canada. So, you know, the growing regions are going to shift and the wine region is going to have to shift with it. All right. Will we see a future where we might get canned wine? <laughs> Let me channel Greg Lambrecht. He is the founder and chairman of Coravin, which helps save your leftover wine in your bottle. Really great to have you on the show, Greg. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Cheers, guys. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.